Amen. Thank you so much for being with us this morning and just lifting up the Lord in worship like that. I just love, one of the things I look forward to each Sunday is just, sometimes I know it's better for me to just stop singing and just listen to everyone else sing and praise the Lord, but I'm still worshiping in spirit and I'm thankful to be here this morning. Uh, We're going to continue our sermon series, Thanks and Giving. Uh, We're in the fifth week technically, but this series has been broken down into two parts. Um, first part, the first three weeks, uh, we focused on the idea of thanks. And naturally, the last week, this week, and next week, we're focusing on the idea of giving. We've looked at biblical principles speaking on the attitude of thankfulness that we are to have from salvation in a relationship with Christ. We've also looked at how to remain thankful in the good times and the bad. And then ultimately, we looked at how to be thankful in all things. Last week, Pastor Aaron went into the the start of the giving series, and he laid out an ultimatum. This wasn't a series based on just financial giving, and that's typically what churches may do uh, towards the end of the year, but obviously this series really focuses more on the heart, and specifically last week, Pastor Aaron spoke on the idea how it's better for us, uh, it's more blessed for us to give than to receive And we obviously looked at the life of Paul last week um, as we went through that study. So this week, we're going to jump into Luke chapter 19. Uh, We're going to study a parable of the 10 pounds. Uh, And this is a parable that Jesus taught to his disciples. A parable is an earthly uh, story with a heavenly uh, spiritual application. And so we're going to look at chapter 19, verses 11 through 27. And the title of today's message is simply, Give Your All. Give Your All. So let's read uh, these few verses and bear with me. It's a little bit of a lengthier passage, but we're going to start here as our launch passage, and then we'll uh, come back to it several times throughout the the message here. So it says here in verse 11, And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable, because he was nigh to Jerusalem, and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. But he, and he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And in verse 15, and it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him, to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in very little, <clears throat> have thou authority over ten cities." And the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said likewise to him, Be thou also over five cities. And another came, saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee, because thou art an austere man, and thou takest up, and thou layest not down, and reapest that thou didst not sow. And he saith unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest I was an austere man, taking up that I laid not down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore then gavest not thou my money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required my own with usury. And he said unto them that stood by, 
Take from him the ten from take from him the pound, and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. Verse twenty six, for I say unto you, that unto every one which hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away from him. But those mine enemies which would not, I should reign over them, bring hither, and slay them before me. Lord, in these next few moments, I pray that you would just use me to speak the point, the truth, the principles here of what it means to give our all. God, I pray that you would just allow me to get out of the way, but at the same time, share from my heart what you've laid on my heart this week to, um, for each and every one of us here this morning. God, I pray specifically, if there's someone here this morning or even watching uh, online, if they don't know for sure what a relationship with you is or what it looks like, they've not made a decision for such. God, I pray that you would work in their hearts this morning. God, I also pray for the, the, the Christian, the believer that may be listening this morning. And I pray that we all would examine our hearts to see exactly how much of our heart are we laying before your feet? How much of our all are we giving to you? God, as we look at this parable and various other principles throughout Scripture, I pray that you would just allow us to leave here changed than when we came in this morning. We ask this in your name. Amen. So giving your all. As we look at this parable, um, I'm going to pull a Pastor Aaron this morning. It's going to be a very long intro and shorter points, okay? A little, he's rubbed off on me a little bit, I guess. Um, but as we go into this parable, the parable is the parable of the 10 pounds. Uh, some uh, Bibles may have it called the 10 uh, minus. Uh, this is different than the parable of the talents. It seems so similar. The messaging is so on par, um, but they are two distinct um, parables as we will see. So at the very beginning of this parable, to summarize, uh, a certain nobleman, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. His disciples are thinking, hey, the kingdom of heaven's coming. Jesus is going to rule and reign. We're no longer going to be under uh, Roman oppression. So Jesus is telling his disciples this story. And in this story, the account is of a man who was a leader, a nobleman, who was coming to a country to basically come in as like a political leader. Um, He equips 10 servants with one pound each. Now, a pound or a mina was equivalent to 100 days wages. So almost three months, a little over three months of daily wages is what a pound was the equivalent to. In contrast, the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, when it talks about a talent, that was equivalent. It was a bag of coins of gold and silver equivalent to 20 years wages. So there's some distinct differences there. So each of these 10 servants were given one pound each. The nobleman returns, as Jesus is telling the story, and he says, what's being done with this money that has been invested into these 10 servants? So we see three servants respond. We see one took the one pound and he turned it into 10 pounds. I don't know about who you, but if you have a retirement broker that can take $10 and turn it into 100, you need to start giving him more of your money. Um, That is a huge return on investment if you're looking at it from a financial scope. Number two was the one pound turned into five pounds. Now, the consequence, the reward for both of these men, uh, the first was told in verse 17, you've been faithful in very little, so you can have authority over 10 cities. And then the second service, servant, excuse me, likewise, authority over five cities in verse 19. But I want to focus the rest of this, I guess, introductory mo- uh, time this morning on the third servant. 
he had one pound and he hid the pound in a napkin. He didn't invest it. He didn't trade it. Um, when the nobleman came back, he asks the third servant, verses 20 to 21, and the servant goes, here's your pound. I kept it in a napkin. I was afraid you were an austere man. Um, and uh, and the, the nobleman replies to him, literally, why didn't you take it to the bank to get interest? Why didn't you have you know, action? Why were you held back by fear? I want to lay out this interesting characteristic that the 10 servants here, now this is a parable, this is a story that Jesus is telling. We don't know what was going on with the other seven servants, okay? We're only focusing on three that returned 10, 5, or 1. Um, so to say what happened with the other seven servants that received a pound is more speculative than anything else. But the interesting thing here is that all 10 of these servants were equipped with the exact equal amount of of, of money. Does everyone follow? So they're all, they were all equipped equally in that sense. And so with that, he comes back, he questions the third, why didn't you, why did you hide it? Why did you put it in the bank? And then the judgment that was pronounced on him in verses 23 to 27 was um, those that were there, uh, they said, hey, take this, town, uh, this um, pound from him and give it to them that had 10 pounds. And um, the judgment then, verses 26 and 27, for I say unto you, that unto every one which hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away from him. The idea here this morning is that God has equipped each and every one of us equally in salvation. We're all given the exact same measure of God's grace and favor when it comes to being in a relationship with him. Today we're going to look at the gifts, the talents, and I know when I say talents, I think of like abilities. I'm not talking about the money from the parable in Matthew 25, but we have gifts, we have talents, we have unique characteristics that God has uniquely equipped us with to overall serve his will, to overall serve the church, and overall serve the community. So the question really is, is what will we do with the gifts, the talents, the abilities that God equips us with? Will we be faithful with those gifts Today we're going to look at some ideas of what was the cost of the, the, the gift that we have. What was the cost of our salvation? Obviously the answer is Christ. Because we're given an equal measure of God's grace and salvation, I believe our main point this morning is simply this. In Christ, we are given an equal amount of God's grace. For His glory, we are uniquely gifted to faithfully give and serve others. We are all given an equal amount of God's grace, but for his glory, we're all uniquely gifted to faithfully give and serve others. It's Christmas time. Why not talk about giving? The only thing missing from these Christmas trees up here is presents, right? Even if they were fakely wrapped and they looked pretty, uh, maybe we'll do that next year. I don't know. Um, but it's the time of year. The Christmas trees are up. Some of you may have gone a little earlier this year than before Thanksgiving, and that's, that's okay. Uh, this year's a free pass at that. Um, some of you may have gifts hiding upstairs in the closet that aren't wrapped yet. Um, some of you may have really prepared, and um, the gifts are wrapped in underneath the tree. It's the time of giving. But today, tonight, excuse me, today, um, I want to focus, based off of this parable, I want to focus on three ideas of giving that we see elsewhere in Scripture that all tie into this point that we are uniquely gifted to give of ourselves and to serve others. The first motivation this morning, number one, is giving is love. Giving is love. We have the ultimate example of that in Christ, where God loved us and says in 1 John 4.19, we love him because he first loved us. 
Yes, we're God's creation. And yes, we, through creation and through temptation, we fell into sin. And there needed to be something remedied for our sin. And God loved us so much that in Romans 5, 8, it says God commended. God showed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And can I pause there for a second? I've read that verse. I've known that verse since I was five years old. I almost fell there. Did you see that? Um, I've known that verse for the longest time. And sometimes, if I'm being honest, you can read through a verse, you can quote a verse, and you're just quoting through it because you know it. But this week, I spent some time just looking at that verse, a verse that I knew from Sunday school class at a very young age that I could quote Romans 5, 8, but God commended his love toward us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. But I want us to take a picture into that verse, dig in past the familiarity of it. We see a few things there. Number one, that God loves us, and he showed us his love while we were in sinners, while we were in the state of sin. And the manifestation of that love is the fact that Christ died for us. God loved us in spite of where we were in our state of sin. I wanted to pause there because we're going to come back to that later. So giving is love, and the example of giving we have ultimately is God, is Christ. But also, God didn't just give us half. God gave us everything. Another familiar passage is John 3.16, where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, God gave us his all in his son. I've heard an illustration before of if there were a cure for this may fit 2020, um, if there were a cure for a disease, and the, the illustration that I heard it as was if at the, the illustration was that of cancer. And I hate cancer. I've lost family members, loved ones to cancer. Um, but if there was a cure and you had it, and you can give it to the entire world, but it cost you your one and only child, would you do it? See, we, we have a spiritual cancer called sin, and the Bible tells us that all of the world, all of us have has this, this disease, and the only remedy is the shed blood of Christ on the cross. And that's what God gave entirely. God gave his one and only begotten son. <clears throat> he gave us his all. He gave us from his heart. And can I tell you this morning, this is a key point if we're going to bridge back the further points of this message. God's gift of salvation is sufficient. God's gift of salvation is enough. There's nothing more you need to do to earn or keep salvation past initial surrender at the cross. We sung this morning about the old rugged cross. I don't do this much, but I was literally staring at that cross while I was singing that song, thinking about the love, thinking about the sacrifice, and thinking about even Christ's full surrender to his Father's plan and giving us his all. It's God's power alone that saves us. Nothing we can do <coughs> to remedy that. Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one. I know it's Christmas time and we focus on the birth of Christ, um, but one of my favorite thoughts I had this past week, when it comes to the crucifixion story of Christ, I was thinking about this idea of Salvation is given to us by God. It's nothing we work for. It's nothing we do. There's no man-made element that can influence that. In Matthew 27, 51, when Christ was crucified, there was a veil in a certain building in Jerusalem at the temple. 
That veil separated uh, a room in the temple from the Holy of Holies. It literally was signifying separating God from man. And one of the coolest events miraculously happened in that entire account, there's many miracles that happened in that entire crucifixion account, is the veil tearing from top to bottom, signifying that no man could literally rip away the separation or create a bridge from where man was in sin to where God was in grace. And it signifies that if we can't do that, and God gave us his entire heart and his whole son and his only begotten son to put himself on a cross, to die for us, to signify a veil ripping from top to bottom, we should emulate that kind of giving. We should emulate that kind of love. I don't know about you, but on Christmas morning, I'm not reluctantly giving my kids presents of, here you go, you didn't deserve this, and just acting like a complete jerk. That's No, when I give people gifts, I do it out of an act of love. Now, I will be completely transparent. I didn't even share this in 8.30. Up until recently, Pastor Aaron shared something, I think last week or the week before, and I was in the sound booth like either feeling convicted or being, oh, I'm the complete opposite of that. Um, He was talking about his personality and how he hates receiving gifts. I love it. I'm just going to be completely honest. Like, and I don't expect it. And I'm, so please don't go out and just give me a bunch of gifts. If you do, though, I'll be honest. I love it. Um, and, but, but let me tell you why. And I didn't even share this in 830. One of the reasons why, and, and I don't say this to be a sad story, is in our family growing up, my parents didn't always get us like the biggest, awesomest, most expensive gifts. It was always the small little things. And when my mom had passed away several years ago, that was the hardest thing for me to deal with at Christmas was, and I was talking to Aaron about it, it's like, I miss her presence, presence, but when those little funny gifts weren't there, yeah, I missed the presence because I got to see the act of love my mom was giving and giving us. And can I tell you something? She would give us some of the weirdest gifts and, and we would, we, they would use, we'd use them, we'd love it. But I was a little bit opposite of what Pastor Aaron was saying that I I love to receive gifts, but can I tell you something? In the years since my mom passed, what brings me more joy is now flipping the coin and giving gifts to others. And, and, and I, I'm like, why did I have to wait 30 years to realize this? That it's more joy and it's more blessed to give to others. So God's equipping us with the same measure and grace for salvation. God's equipping us, as we'll talk here in a minute, of, of, of the gifts that he equips us with to serve others. And it really stems off the fact that I want to give to others the way things have been given to me. And there's been examples in my life. There's examples right here throughout Scripture. And in fact, in Matthew 22, 37, Mark 12, and Luke 10, it's a, it's a, it's a passage, all the same account, where Christ is saying, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind. Next week's message is really focused around victory. It's really focused around the gift of Christ to us in salvation. But this week, it's almost a little backwards. I want to focus on how we, respectfully, can be God's gift to others if we fully surrender our heart and allow Him to utilize us the way He intended. So I don't say that to say, I'm God's gift to man. No. I say that to say, if we fully surrender our heart in daily living, the same way we surrendered our heart in salvation, we can emulate God's example We can love God with all of our heart, all of our soul and mind. God gave us us all, and we should naturally do the same. But don't waste, Christian, don't waste an opportunity today to fully love on someone the way God unconditionally, through his grace, 
showed his love to you. Giving is love, number one. Number two, this morning, we are equipped to give. We are equipped to give. The truth is, we're new in Christ. As a Christian, we are a new creature, a new identity. There's a discipleship material that myself and, and pastor and others utilize, and one of the biggest points about it, when it starts off talking about the gospel message, talking about what it means to have a relationship with Christ, it focuses on identity. And it says specifically in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. When we place our faith in Christ and we enter into that salvation relationship with him, we are a new creature. We are, it, it's a clean slate. The sins are wiped away by his blood. We are a new creature. We are a Christian. I said this earlier. Christian used to be, when it was first labeled, was a term of like a, um, it was a negative term. Oh, they're acting like little Christs was what the word Christian came from today. Now it's a term of endearment. If someone says you're acting like a Christian, you're like, hey, thanks. Where it used to be an insult in the early, in the early Bible times, the time of Acts. But the question is, is are we giving enough of our heart to others, for others to see, hey, there's something different about the way they act. There's something different about the way they give. <clears throat> Our identity has been changed from this, where we were talking about Romans 5, 8 earlier. We talked about the idea of being in the state of sin where God showed his love and he gave us Christ on the cross. Our identity was one from in a state of sin, condemned and on my way to hell because of my sin to through Christ, through the old rugged cross, our identity is new, our identity is clean, our identity is a child of the king. I don't know about you, but if that doesn't excite you, as the old preachers used to say, if your fire ain't burning, your wood's wet. <laughs> you guys laughed at that a lot more than 8.30, so maybe you're more awake. But here's the, if you're not excited about salvation, how can, you not, how can you be excited about everything else in the Christian life? Can I tell you something? It's not just a check mark. It's not just a prayer. It's not just, it's entering into a relationship with Christ and the creator of the universe who when he died, the earth shook, the rocks rent, the veil torn top to bottom because he covered our sin, my sin, <coughs> excuse me, your sin through grace, through love. We, are, have, we have that new identity. Here's the truth though. I said this earlier. We are all given that equal measure of grace and salvation. Someone is not more saved than me, than, than, or him or I, just because someone has a, a, a worse past or grander sins or whatever it may be, it still was one sin that put Christ on the cross. So I'm not saved any more than you are or you vice versa. We're all given that equal measure of grace and salvation, but really we're also equipped uniquely to be used in God's perfect will for our life. <clears throat> I don't put myself on a pedestal when I say this, or even Pastor Aaron, but I wouldn't be naive to the fact that there's a possibility, and I say this because I used to think this, but there's probably a possibility that exists in some of your minds in this room this morning that say, you know what, one day I want to be, be the type of Christian that Pastor Aaron is, or I want to be the type of Christian that Pastor Dan may be. Can I first say, number one, we're not the bar. Our goal is to point you to the standard, and that's Christ. But we'll come, I'm, I say that because I'm going to come back to that in a little bit. Um, 
we're, we're given an equal measure of salvation in God's grace, but we're each uniquely gifted in different areas. You may be gifted in certain areas to connect with certain age groups of people that I'm not gifted in. But the truth is, we're equipped. And the equipping gives us the same potential. But it all goes back to we need to remember who we are in Christ in salvation. So if you're ever doubting, if you're ever wondering, I don't think God can use me in that way. Can I tell you something? Because of your identity as a new creature, you, Christian, are enough to be used by God. You are enough. Doesn't matter the past. It doesn't matter what you've done. God's grace is sufficient. The blood covers every sin. You are enough to be used exactly the way God intends you to be used. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. You see in the auspices of the church as Paul is writing to Ephesus, he said, God's equipped some of you to be apostles, some of you to be evangelists, some of you to be pastors, some of you to be teachers. One of the teenagers this morning said, hey, pastor, is everybody a preacher? And I said, absolutely. Everyone is a preacher because preaching literally means proclaiming truth. So you're telling me I can read this Bible and share truth with others and I'm preaching? Absolutely. God's equipped us in different ways, with different talents. The joke growing up was not everyone is going to be called to be a pastor. Everyone can preach, but not everyone's going to be a pastor because if everyone's a pastor, who's going to be in the church was the joke. But can I tell you something? The point of that application we heard a lot growing up in youth group and church was God's calling businessmen. God's calling lawyers and doctors. Not lawyers, I'm kidding. Uh, I'm joking. God's calling everyone to be used in their respective workplaces, their respective neighborhoods, whatever it may be. We're all equipped to serve and teach in some capacity. You know, the interesting thing is each and every one of us is different. Some of us have different personalities. Some of us have different um, desires and things that we like. So if God gives us an equal measure of grace and salvation, God equips us to be used in different ways. The purpose in Ephesians 4.12 was, why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Why should I give you my all in service? Why should I give you my all in my heart? Because the word of God is flat out commanding me to that it's to build up the church. It's to build up Christians. It's to reach the community with the gospel message. So the question really goes back to why are we not utilizing those gifts like we should? And I'll give you a great example of this. In about three, no, 15, a little over two weeks from today, under two weeks, under two weeks, 12 days from today is Christmas. Now, in my family, I had this tradition growing up where we opened every gift on Christmas Eve. I'm in eight years of marriage, and I've still failed to convince my wife that we do that instead of Christmas morning. Um, but Christmas morning will come around. McKenna, my oldest, uh, she'll come downstairs. Uh, we'll read the Christmas story. We'll talk about how Jesus is the ultimate gift. And we give gifts as a picture of that. We give gifts because we love. Ken is going to look at a gift. In the moment, me or even my wife hands her a gift. She's going to light up. She's going to be excited. She's excited at receiving the gift. Then she starts to open it up. 
How many of you parents like me are like, just rip the wrapping paper in half, like get into it. Like, I don't care. Um, so Ken is meticulous like that. She'll open it up and then she'll see what it is and she'll get excited. 90% sure it's going to be something that she showed me on the Target app, which a five-year-old can use the Target app in my home. I don't know how, um, with a little help. But she's going to see the gift. She's going to be excited when she receives it. And then when she opens it and it's her own, she's going to get more excited. And then she's going to play with it probably the rest of Christmas Day. And then it's, she's going to play with it for the next week, and the second week, and the third week. And that initial infatuation is going to what? It's going to wear off. It's going to fade. And then it's funny. She asked us for a gift this year that she donated three months ago. And we're like, you just gave one away. Um, the infatuation faded. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons we as Christians hold ourselves back from realizing that we are enough for God to use us the way he intends to because we for, forgot and lost the excitement of what the gift of salvation was and still is today. We forget to live daily in the identity that we're a new creature, we're not an old creature. Sometimes the baggage of the past may hold us back, but remember the baggage was paid for at the cross with the blood of Christ. Are you the type of Christian that got saved, began that relationship with Christ? We're on fire, and then the infatuation faded away. Are you the Christian that God so clearly equips you with a gift to serve people in the church where you kind of let it fade away? Next week, the pastor's going to be speaking more on the idea of because of Christ, because of the grace, because of thankfulness, we have victory in the fact that Jesus, when he came to earth, conquered sin, conquered death. And next week, we're talking about how Christ is the gift for us. But because of thankfulness and because of God's grace at salvation and because of how we're equipped to serve today, we, as I said a moment ago, we can be God's gift to others if we just fully surrender all of our heart. Even though we're differently equipped, the truth is this. We're on the winning side. I go to a lot of, I used to go to a lot of sporting events. Um, I can't wait to go more sporting events, but I don't go to a sporting event knowing the outcome of the game. If I did, Pastor Dan would be at the bookie every week. <laughs> Just being honest. I don't have tomorrow's newspaper today. I don't know what's going to happen. But you know what? We have the Word of God. We know what's going to happen at the end. And we know if we're on God's side, if we have that relationship, guess what? We win. But can I tell you what? I don't want to be selfish with that gift. I want to go outside these walls and I want to tell everyone about that gift. It's not my gift to give. It's the gift that God gave. And we are just humble messengers of that gift. And there's different talents and different things that we have that we could use to reach people outside of these walls. What better time in the craziest year of our lives, 2020, to realize that people are searching for answers. I had three people in circles outside of the church world that I know in the last nine months, three different people texted me, hey, Dan, is this the end of the world? And I humbly said, I don't believe so. This is nowhere close based on what I read. But that starts conversations of what if it was the end of the world? Do you know where you're going to go? 
See, God's equipped us. The question is, are we going to use it? Are we going to stay excited about it? Are we going to realize the victory we have? Or are we going to continue to live defeated? Because here's the point. It all goes back to identity. If you feel less than adequate, remind yourself of who you are as a new creature in Christ because of salvation. Remind yourself that we're new in Christ. We're equipped to give. And thirdly and lastly this morning, giving is outward. Giving is outward. <clears throat> Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Giving is a sacrifice. In fact, in Romans 12, it says for us to surrender our lives, present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Does that not sound like an oxymoron, living sacrifice? Same difference. One of my favorites, pretty ugly. Um, but a living sacrifice to basically say to God, God, my life is yours. You gave me your all and your only begotten. You gave me your love when I was in a state of sin, and now I'm in the state of grace through a relationship with you. God, you've given me victory. You've given me identity. The least I could do is give you everything back. I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life where I didn't God, did not give God everything. And it may have went well, and everything may have been fine, and from the outside, everyone's like, hey, that worked out. But inwardly, I'm like, God, I could have given you more on that. I could have given you more of my heart on that. God, I could have done more than just mailing that one in. Giving has a cost. And the cost ought to be, because the example we've been given is our lives in service to the king. Giving consumes us. <clears throat> But can I honestly share with you the example of Christ? It was even a struggle for him and his humanity to follow the plan that God the Father laid out. Christ himself said, if there's any way this cup can pass for me. But then he also resigned and said, nevertheless, thy will be done. We all may struggle with God's plan for our life is, but can I tell you, it takes full surrender. It takes a heart of full giving. And all, God's, all God wants from you is not your money. It's not how many times you read a Bible in the week. It's not how many times you give. God just wants you. You know those old school metal round objects called offering plates? We haven't seen them since March. Um, God doesn't want anything in that offering plate but you. To say, God, you can fully use me. Now, is all those other things that we mentioned going to fall in line if we give our hearts fully to God? Yeah, but that's going to be His prompting you and not someone else telling you to do it. Because I think that's one of the biggest issues I have with Christianity today. So many people today are living based off of a checklist because someone said this rather than pointing them to the very principle of the Word of God and allowing the Holy Spirit to change their heart and to change their behavior in the process of being more Christ-like. Christ was consumed by love. As we saw last week, Paul was consumed by love. He gave his heart to the churches that he served and in, in, in went through on his missionary journeys. There's a heart, depth, passion when it comes to helping others. And Pastor had even shared this, but there's been times where I've helped others 
And I don't help others to get feedback or appreciation, but there's been times where I've helped others where there was no appreciation, there was not a thank you. There's been times where I've straight up been used, you know, um, I, and I can go into story after story. But can I tell you something? There's going to be hurt that could happen when you give of yourself. But can I remind you that it pales in comparison to the hurt Christ experienced on the cross for your sin and mine? But there's also joy in serving Jesus. Isn't that a song? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's an oldie but a goodie. There's joy in serving Jesus, and there's ultimately joy in serving others. Giving ought to consume us. Giving molds us like Christ. Isaiah 64, 8. But now, O Lord, Thou art our Father, we are the clay, and Thou art potter. We are all the work of Thy hand. In order for the clay to be molded, it has to be defenseless. We, uh, I remember in high school, there was a little, we had one of these weird classes called Explorations. I don't know why they called it that. Um, but every four weeks, it was a different class. So theater, one quarter, art class, the next quarter, music, and, and something else. I remember in the art class, I remember sitting down and uh, we did pottery. Like, um, <laughs> I, should, I wonder if I should tell you what I made. Um, because in my house, the only thing that I can adequately make Pottery-wise, was an ashtray for my grandmother. Um, but so I remember making the clay. You have to get it wet. You have to slap it on the wheel, and it's got a stick. And your hands basically mold the pot, the dish, or whatever you're making. The clay is defenseless. The clay needs to be prepared. It needs to be softened. If it's hard and dry, it's not moldable. It's going to fly right off the, the, the table and hit your classmate in the head, which is probably what I should have done. But the clay needs to be moldable. And for us to be moldable to Christ, we have to surrender our heart to say, whatever you want for me to do. Mold me how you want to make me. And in doing so, we then exhibit the attitude to emulate and to be Christ-like. You know, the cool thing is, all throughout Scripture and all throughout our church history, we have examples of faithful men. We have examples of Paul and others through Scripture that have been faithful. One of my favorite characters in the Bible is David because he struggled with sin. It was so apparent in the consequences, but yet he was still a man after God's own heart that loved the Lord, but he wasn't perfect. I think of faithful men. I think of Alan Cabrales, who I only had the pleasure of knowing for a few years. Think of a man of him of faith. I said a few moments ago, that there may be this misperception of one day I want to be the type of Christian that pastor or so-and-so is. This past Monday in our sermon brainstorming meeting, it was Pastor Aaron, myself, and Mike McKenzie. Mike said something to me that blew my mind in a sense to perfectly illustrate. So this next statement is completely his. But it said, God has every intention of you being a Paul in his service. Now, a lot of times as pastors, we're like, yeah, we want to be like Paul. We want to be this way. Ultimately, we want to be Christ-like. But Paul had probably one of the most checkered pasts you can think of, and yet through his full surrender, through God coming to him on the road to Damascus, for Paul becoming saved and have a relationship with God, you and I, listen, you and I were given the same measure of grace and salvation than Paul was on the road to Damascus. We all have our own unique 
Damascus Road experiences and when we gave our life to God. But you know God equips you in a specific way. God puts you in circles to reach people that the Apostle Paul have never would have been in. God puts people in your path on a daily basis that I, Aaron, and others in here will never meet. We have faithful examples of people who give outwardly, how giving is a sacrifice, how it costs the cross. But we have to realize if we give God our all, then the potential for God to use us is unmatched. <clears throat> the question today is, have you given, first of all, your heart to Christ? Have you given your heart to Christ in salvation? Have you experienced that victory over sin? If not, I, I encourage, if not beg or implore, if you don't know for sure that heaven's your eternal home, or if you're watching online today and you're in your living room and you have no idea what it means to have a relationship with Christ, please talk to me before you leave. If you're online, there's a number you can text later. Please do so. So someone can reach out, someone can sit down from the Bible and show you this is what a relationship with Christ is. It's full surrender to him for salvation. You're given the same amount of grace in that moment than any other Christian is. But the truth is we all are uniquely gifted to be used by God. Christian, this morning, where's your heart? Is it fully invested in God's plan and serving others? I'll close with this illustration. <clears throat> I'm 34 years old. Um, someone told me to say 34 years young. Um, a couple weeks ago, I dove into something brand new. Uh, you can call it a midlife crisis. Um, a year and a half ago, I bought a motorcycle. That was phase one. Uh, phase two is I bought a guitar, and I wanted to learn how to play guitar. One of my friends here in town was kind of pointing me in the right direction. This is the type of guitar you want. Um, this is, there's this app on the iPad that teaches you how to play. Um, and for my video gamers in here, this app, it's like Guitar Hero, but like literally teaches you how to play the guitar. Um, so I'm learning through the guitar um, app, and it's teaching me just fundamental ways how to hold the guitar, how to strum or how to pick certain notes or how to strum certain keys. And um, it literally has this bouncing ball like you see on those karaoke uh, videos where it makes sure you strum and uh, do these things on the right timing. But the app will actually listen to your guitar to make sure you're playing the right notes, the right keys, the right chords. Um, and so as I'm playing through it, the ball's bouncing. Perfect, perfect. Little late, little early. And then I get to a chord where I have to strum all six strings. And if you know anything about a guitar playing, you have to have a three, four fingers perfectly placed fingertips on the strings to get the desired sound you need in the correct frets on the guitar handle. I have fat, chubby fingers, so that's not exactly easy. Um, but here's what happens. You have a key, you have E minor, I got three fingers holding the strings. I strum all six strings. And if I have one finger accidentally touching another string or one finger not held down enough, it'll actually register on the app dead note. And it'll actually tell me what string I accidentally hit or was wrong. And it was out of sync and it wasn't tuned um, correctly. And so me, as an OCD perfectionist, I go back, start over, and then get it right until I learn it. The question, though, is do we view our spiritual life 
the same way as we do the six strings on a guitar. If there's one area of our life that's out of sync, out of tune, that doesn't resonate with the perfect harmony of God's will for our life, when someone calls it out or when you, through the Holy Spirit, says, God, I need to fix that, do you take the initiative to fix it? To say, God, I'm out of sync in this area. In order for me to be in sync, not the band, um, in order for me to be in tune, in order for me to resonate, I need to get this right. I need to fully surrender all of my heart. Because when we fully surrender, the beauty, the harmony of seeing someone fully surrender their life to God and let God, see God use them is one of the coolest things you'll ever see. God has every intention of you being a Paul in his service. Are you giving God your all? Do you need to retune? Do you need to reset some areas in your life? It all goes back to identity. It all goes back to identity because if there's an area in your life that's out of sync, And you might be saying, but God can't use me in that way. No, you are enough to be used of God because his measure of grace was equal in salvation and he uniquely equipped each and every one of you, myself included, on how to serve the body of Christ for his perfect plan. The key, though, is giving God your all. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much this morning for your word. We thank you for how, through the parable of the 10 pounds, how we saw different levels of people given the same equal amount, but yet there was three levels of giving. Two were blessed as a result of their faithfulness and one received judgment. And God, I would, if I'm looking at my life in the mirror, I personally don't care if it's five talents or five pounds or 10 pounds. God, I just want to give you my all. God, I pray that you would just allow each and every one of us to experience who we are in you, to not lose the excitement of salvation, to not lose that instant gratification, but to live every day in victory of what you did for us. God, help us to take that identity, help us to take that love, and not just focus it inward, but focus it outward to others. God, there's family members There's people in this community that need to know what your love is all about. God, I pray in these next few moments, during this moment of invitation, that you would allow us to just examine our hearts and see exactly where we need to retune the string that's off key. What area in our life do we need to calibrate, get right, surrender, to fully give all of us to you? God, if there's someone here this morning watching online or even in the auditorium this morning that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, doesn't know you to have that relationship with them. God, I pray that today they have questions about that decision. They would either talk to one of us or or even text the number right there so we can reach out and have that conversation. God, I pray that you allow us to look at this lesson, this parable, God, help us to fully give you all of our heart so that you can fully utilize us in the way you intended. Lord, we love you. We ask this in your name. As the piano plays, if I'd invite you to stand to your feet with me at this time and make this a moment of prayer, whether here at the altar or whether you make an altar at your seat. Examine, 
Ask God, God, what is an area in my life that I need to readjust, recalibrate in order to be in sync with you?